guess we'll put this right here. Well, I do appreciate those very kind words from our pastor. Amen. Amen. I think God could find someone better, but he's called me. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I do love preaching. <laughs> no, no. I do love preaching Bible prophecy. I've studied Bible prophecy for 35 years, and I still know nothing. Like all of you, I am a student of Bible prophecy. Amen. I love studying God's word. I go to Israel, as you all well know, for the Five times a year, I just got back from uh, the Holy Land with uh, Dr. Todd Baker as we carried out the 54th Israel Gospel Outreach, and uh, we passed out 40 complete Hebrew Bibles. What do I mean by complete Hebrew Bibles? Hebrew Bible consisted of Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, that is the Jewish division of the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, and then the Barit Chadashah. That's Hebrew for the New Covenant or the New Testament. That takes you back to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 31, where God said, I will make a Berit Chadashar, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And we know that one day in the future, that covenant will come into realization at the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth, amen, to the land of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem for the inauguration of the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. And I take that to be a literal bodily reign of Jesus from a literal bodily city that I just came from, the holy city of Jerusalem. After our day of evangelism, Dr. Todd Baker and I will go to a biblical location and then we will teach Bible and Bible prophecy from that location. I do want to invite you to go to my YouTube channel, which is my name, Dr. August Rosado, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. We have about nine videos that we did out there uh, recently in the land of Israel. For example, we stopped at a site called Tel Aphek. Aphek. You mentioned about Aphek when you were teaching out of 1 Kings chapter number 20. We were just at Tel Aphek. That is where the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites. So Dr. Baruch and I went to Tel Aphek. Tour groups don't go there at all. It's like a, a barren place. They need to go there. They need to check these places out. And we taught from Tel Aphek. Then we went to another location called Dor. Not D-O-O-R, a door you open, but Dor, D-O-R. Now, Dor is Hebrew for generation. So when you say Dor la Dor, that's generation to generation. So we went to uh, Tel Dor. That was where uh, Solomon had his fortification. He fortified uh, Dor. was one of his fortification areas there. So we taught from uh, Tel Dor, and we taught from other uh, locations there in Israel. The Mount of Olives. We were at, recently at the Mount of Olives where we uh, talked on when shall these things be. What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age or the end of the world? So uh, check out uh, the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that little bell icon so when I upload a new video, you will be notified of the video teaching. So I'm looking forward to tonight. Looking forward to Lord willing tomorrow night. The rapture doesn't happen. Amen. amen. And, of course, looking forward to uh, Sunday. And then my wife and I will have maybe three days off until we head all the way down to the south. Amen. We are going to Mississippi. And I will be preaching for the next four weeks at six churches 
in Mississippi. I haven't been to Mississippi since uh, 2019. So we're heading back to Mississippi. The pastors are calling me up. Brother Rosado, are you still coming? Yes, we're still coming. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Amen. So I'll be preaching in Mississippi. After Mississippi, we're heading to Texas, Dallas, Texas. I'll have two churches I'll be preaching at in Dallas. One of them is Dr. Baker's congregation, Shalom, Shalom Congregation. Actually, he's on live on Facebook right now in that congregation. Then I'll be in Garland, Texas, preaching at Gatewood Baptist Church. And so uh, we're going to have a busy plate. Amen. So pray for us, for travel mercies, and praying for souls to be saved. Amen. Listen, I don't just want to come and preach at a prophecy conference and not use the wonderful doctrine of prophecy as a tool to win someone to Jesus Christ. I want to use prophecy to win people to the Lord. Amen? There could be someone here tonight at East Bay Baptist Church. They are one trumpet sound away from being left behind at the rapture. One heartbeat away from a Christless eternity in hell. It doesn't have to be that way. Today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6.2, because tomorrow might be too late. Listen, folks, you and I are not promised tomorrow. James 4.14, life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, and then what? Vanisheth away. My life could come to an end tonight, but the hope that I have is that I'm on my way to heaven. Not because I'm a good person, because I'm not. But because I'm a sinner worthy of God's wrath, worthy of God's judgment, but I am a sinner saved by grace. Because, Brother Chris, as you well know, April 22nd, 1988, 10.49 a.m., on a Thursday morning at the Animal Rescue League with that guy right there, he led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Which in turn, 1990, New Bedford, Massachusetts, Oaks Nursing Home, I met this guy and had the opportunity to lead Brother Danny to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thine house. Amen. And praise God for the late Pastor Joe Mendes, who was our pastor, yes, Brother Chris Barrows, who went home to be with the Lord uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, Brother Mendes looked at me and said, hey, Brother August, I'm going to take you to a synagogue. I'm like, for what? We're going to go to a synagogue because we're going to sit there and have a dialogue, open doors to share the gospel with the rabbi and the Jewish people at that synagogue on Brownell Avenue next to Buttonwood Park in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And I went there as a young believer with Pastor Joe Mendes, and I just sat down and just listened to him share all these messianic prophecies with the rabbi of that synagogue. And something right there just got a hold of my heart. I know exactly what it was. That was the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he called me to study Bible prophecy, to study about the Jews in Bible prophecy, because God is not done with Israel. God has a plan for Israel that is distinct from the plan that he has for the church. The church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. Neither usurps the other. Amen? Israel is temporarily set aside right now in a state of unbelief. Take my word for it. They're in a state of unbelief. I've been to Israel 34 times. They're in a state of unbelief. 
as God is dealing with the ecclesia, you, the called out ones, the church, to do what? To evangelize, to preach the gospel to every creature. And when that's said and done, and the shofar, the trumpet sounds, and the church is taken out of here at the rapture, then God will deal with the nation of Israel during the 70th week. What do I mean by the 70th week? What am I talking about here? The seven-year period of tribulation. And in the future, a little horn, a little horn is going to come on the world stage. And he will be energized by the dragon of Revelation 12.3. That's Satan to energize this guy, the beast of Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 1. I love the study of Bible prophecy. Unfortunately, it has become abused, misused, leading to people becoming confused. That's a travesty, man. To take a doctrine that permeates at least one-fourth of Scripture and abuse it, I consider that to be blasphemy. We need to study Bible prophecy for its plain sense interpretation. I say this all the time, and you know where I'm going to go here. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, or you will end up with nonsense. <clears throat> nonsense. And there is so much nonsense. that That's why I'm not surprised you got that little booklet on prophecy. There is so much nonsense out there today. The Bible is its best own interpreter. Why don't you just leave it like that? You're going to run into a lot of symbolism tonight. But you must look for a literal interpretation behind the symbolism. Who's going to interpret the symbols for you? August Rosado? No. Joe Schmoes and the Prophecy Pros? No. The Bible and the Bible alone will interpret those symbols for you. I'm going to give you an example of that tonight as look at the rise of the little horn. The little horn, past and future. There was a little horn of the past, and there's going to be a little horn of the future. If you want to know more about our prophecy messages, about our ministry, our table is out there. Get one of our prayer cards. Sign up for our free uh, newsletters. I also have books on the table on Bible prophecy, things we brought back from Israel on this recent trip I just came back from. By the way, thank you all for praying for me because I got sick out there. Actually, Todd Baker got struck first. I felt fine. And he was in bed that whole entire day. So I went out on my own sharing the gospel in Tiberias, right next to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, man, where Jesus spoke 19 of his 32 parables where he performed 25 of his 32 miracles right there on the Sea of Galilee. So I went there, shared the gospel, passed out two Bibles to a, a, a couple of Israeli Jews and Israeli, uh, an Israeli Arab. So the Lord opened the doors. And then when we got to Haifa in the Mount Carmel region where the Jewish prophet um, Elijah ministered, all of a sudden, man, I got sick. But it was a 24-hour bug. It was in and out. So I'm laying in bed. Todd Baker goes out there, and he's sharing the gospel. So it was like a tit-for-tat there, amen? But I appreciate all of you praying for us. And, folks, i got to say it was a successful 
Israel Gospel Outreach. I'm going back to Israel in October uh, for the 55th Israel Gospel Outreach, so I'd ask that you would keep us in prayer uh, for that. But we also have a Bible prophecy tour that's supposed to be leaving in September. I'm looking to take about 20 people to go with me. Let me teach you Bible prophecy on location. Amen? And when it's all said and done, I promise you this, you'll never read this King James Bible the same way again. Amen? Now, let's take our Bibles. Look at two passages here tonight. Let's go to the book of Daniel. I love the book of Daniel. Amen? What a fascinating apocalyptic book filled with apocalyptic literature, all types of symbolism, but again, you must look for a literal interpretation behind that symbolism, and the Bible and the Bible alone will interpret those symbols for you. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7, okay? <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. We'll look at verses 7 and 8. Daniel chapter 7, don't you just love your name, Daniel? Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Notice what the Word of God says here, Daniel 7, 7 and 8. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had how many horns? Ten horns. Keep that number ten in mind. But notice who comes out of the ten horns of verse number eight. I considered the horns, the ten horns of verse seven, and behold, there came up among them another, underline this, little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn, that little horn, were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth. Man, what a mouth on this guy. And a mouth speaking Great things. What does it mean by great things? He's speaking good things about God? No. Oh, no. It's a total opposite, right? Brother Tom, he's blasphemous. He's got a wicked, evil, blasphemous mouth. He blasphemes God. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the next chapter. Chapter number 8. Chapter number 8. And notice with me in verse number 5. And I was considering, and as I was considering, behold, a he-goat, a male goat, came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. I'll tell you who that is in a minute. And he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler or with anger or with fury against him and smote the ram and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore, the goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a... There's another one here. Brother Tom, there's another little horn. Not little big horn. 
a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. That would be the land of Israel. Let's pray tonight. Our heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here on this Friday night to worship you in your house, Lord, to magnify and to glorify your holy and righteous name. Lord, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk, to open up this sacred book, and to preach from the prophetic pages that permeate at least one-fourth of the word of God. Father, I pray that you would give me the wisdom, the direction, and the guidance that I need tonight to preach this very timely message. Because, Lord, I believe that we are on borrowed time. And I believe, Lord, that the rapture of the church is so very close at hand. It could even be tonight. And, Lord, it's my prayer that if there is someone here under my voice at East Bay Baptist Church, whether they're watching live stream or here physically, and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die. It's my prayer, Lord, that during the message, that the Holy Spirit of God would convict their hearts, show them their need for the Savior, and by faith call upon the name of the Lord and be born again through the Spirit of God, that they would be ready for either one or two things, either death, which happens to all, or the next main event on God's calendar of activities that we call the rapture of the church. So, Father, thank you for Pastor Tony. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for East Bay Baptist Church being a light, a beacon to the people of East Providence and the surrounding areas. And, Father, may you now be glorified in everything that is said and done here tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen and amen. So, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, Daniel talks about a little horn. Obviously, this is a man he is talking about because he has a mouth on him. He has a blasphemous mouth on him. But then when we get to chapter 8 and verse number 9, we see another little horn here. Don't make the mistake of saying we are looking at one in the same little horn. We are not. We must make a distinction between the little horn of Daniel 7, 8 and this little horn of Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 9. Folks, we see dual prophecies throughout the entire word of God that had a past fulfillment and await a future fulfillment. They are also known as dual fulfillment prophecies in the word of God. Let me give you an example of what a dual prophecy is all about. Jesus, in his Olivet Discourse, and again, I was just on the Mount of Olives. I love it, man. In his Olivet Discourse, which, by the way, covers Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke chapter number 21. In Luke 21, 24, he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down on the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Folks, you're looking at a dual prophecy right there of Luke chapter 21, verse number 24. The first half of that verse has already been fulfilled. 
and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive of all nations. Stop. That was fulfilled in what year? 70 A.D. With the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and the Beit Hamikdash, the Jewish temple at that time. The latter half of that verse, let's read on, and Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. I love that word in Hebrew. Everyone say Yerushalayim. That's a beautiful Hebrew word. Yerushalayim. And Yerushalayim and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That awaits, ladies and gentlemen, a future event that is yet to happen. And again, we know, and you can still see the Roman destruction of Jerusalem today. We know that the siege of Jerusalem happened in 70 A.D. General Titus, the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, brought the 10th Roman legion into Jerusalem, sacked the city, sacked the temple, and he dispersed the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth, known as the Diaspora. I took Patty to the Diaspora uh, Museum when her and I just went to Israel on our own without a tour group. I took her to the Diaspora Museum in Tel Aviv in which they walk you through 2,000 years of Jewish diaspora from the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 A.D., up until the rebirth of the state of Israel, May the 14th of 1948. They were dispersed to the four corners of your thanks to the Roman Empire. So the second half of Luke 21-24 awaits fulfillment when Gentile world forces uh, controlling Jerusalem at that time for the last 42 months of the tribulation period will come to an end at the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. Jesus Christ will return at his second coming. He will crush all Gentile world forces, including the biggest Gentile to come on the world stage who comes out of the sea. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 1. Remember what John the Apostle said? He said, I saw a beast come up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his head the name of what? Blasphemy. Remember that little horn in Daniel 7, 8? He has a mouth speaking great things. John says upon his forehead was the name written of blasphemy. Jerusalem, for the last 42 months of the future seven-year period of tribulation, will be under Gentile world control, being led by the Gentile world ruler coming up out of the sea, which is symbolic for the Gentile nations of the world. Jesus Christ will return at his second coming, and he will crush, destroy, eliminate the final ten tolls. Remember that, word, that number ten I told you? The final ten tolls of the revived Roman Empire. And if you were to read Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, Daniel said, I saw a stone come down from heaven. And that stone smote or struck the ten toes of the image. And then that stone becomes a great mountain filling the whole entire earth. That would be the millennial kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the stone? Jesus Christ. Where's he coming from? Heaven. 
at the second coming, amen, he comes back and he destroys the final ten toes of the revived Roman Empire. The head of gold, Babylon, no more. The breast and arms of silver, Medo-Persia, no more. The belly and thighs of brass, the Grecian Empire, no more. The legs of iron, the Roman Empire, no more. However, when you get to the ten toes, it's the revival of the Roman Empire. And those final ten toes, later on called ten horns, will give a blank check to that Gentile world ruler, the Antichrist, when he comes on the world stage. This beast will be energized by Satan to become the Antichrist. And you know something? This guy is probably alive and well somewhere in Europe waiting to be energized by Satan to become the Antichrist. But before that can happen, you got to go. Amen? The church must be evacuated before the commencement of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, that final seven-year period of tribulation to come. So the Jewish prophet Daniel depicts this in Daniel 2, 34 and 35, when the stone comes down from heaven, crushes the final ten toes of the revived Roman Empire. That little horn comes out of the ten toes or out of the ten horns of the revived Roman Empire. But when he comes face to face with Jesus Christ, guess what? I know what's going to happen to him. Amen? As a matter of fact, I don't even need to take you to the book of Revelation to show you what's going to happen to him. Daniel tells us what's going to happen to him. Daniel 7.11, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words, the blasphemous words, which the horn, the little horn spake. I beheld even till the beast, that's the beast of Revelation 13.1, was slain and his body destroyed and given to the what? You know where he's going to go in the future? The lake of fire. Not just him, but his buddy, the false prophet as well. Amen. You compare Daniel 7.11 to Revelation 19, 19, and 20. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth gathered together to make war against him. They sat on the horse and against his armies. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before them, in which they had deceived the world that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The Antichrist will continue sometime after the rapture for a period of 2,520 days. Can anybody tell me how long 2,520 days are? That's seven years right there, man. 2,520 days is exactly seven years. And by the way, those numbers are based on what calendar? The Jewish lunar calendar. You can't fit those numbers into our Gregorian solar calendar that has a 365-day year. The Jewish lunar calendar based on the moon has a 360-day year. So if you take 360 on the lunar calendar times 7, the seven-year period of tribulation, you come up with 2,520. 2,520 days is exactly seven years. Now, if you take 2,520 and you divide it by 2, do you know what number you come up with? By the way, it's a number that's found in the Word of God. And Revelation 11.3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy how long? 
1,260 days. That's the first half of the tribulation period. What? 1,203 school days clothed in sackcloth. Then the last half of the tribulation period, again, we're looking at 1,260 days. Revelation 12, 6. And the woman, that would be Israel, by the way. Don't confuse this woman with the woman of Revelation 17. The woman in Revelation 17 is the false church that sits on a seven-hill city in Rome. Amen, Brother Chris? The woman here is who? Israel. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had the place prepared of God, that they shall feed her there for how long? 1,260 days. Folks, that would be the last half of the seven-year period of tribulation. By the way, do you recognize that place right there? You got it, brother. Petra, one of the seven wonders of the world. I take my tour groups here all the time to Petra because the surviving Jewish remnant, the woman, will be held up at Petra for the remaining 1,260 days of the last half of the tribulation period. Again, folks, these numbers deal with the Jewish lunar calendar showing this has everything to do with Israel and nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the Jew and nothing to do with you. Why? Because it is called a time of whose trouble? Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Alice, woe, for that day is great, so that there is none like it. It is even a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. I was just praying there last week. They call it the hotel, not the hotel. Not the motel with a K, cough, the coltel. I was praying for you, Brother Robbie, at the coltel. I was praying for you, Brother Tom, at the coltel. The holiest place in Judah. I was praying for my wife at the coltel, for East Bay Baptist Church, at the holiest site in Judaism, the holy city of Jerusalem, where God said, My name will be there forever. Ha Olam in Hebrew, Second Chronicles. Six, six. You're looking at a 2,000-year-old retaining wall left over during the second temple period that the Romans decided not to destroy amongst everything else that they put their filthy hands on. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. When is Jacob, Israel, going to be saved out of it? At the second coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth. This has everything to do with the Jewish people, it has nothing to do with Christians. Amen. We are not here when this final seven-year period of tribulation begins. The Bible describes two little horns in the book of Daniel. By the way, do you remember how to read the book of Daniel chronologically? Don't look at your notes. <laughs> Commit to memory. Do you remember how to read the book of Daniel chronologically? Someone give it a shot. Louder? Okay. Now you know who writes my sermons. <laughs> Chronolo yeah, chronologically, she hangs around me too much. Chronologically, that is how you should be reading the book of Daniel. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12. Chronologically, that is how you should be studying the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel describes two little horns. One little horn of the past, another little horn of the future. And there is a distinction 
between these two. Now, we're in Daniel chapter 8, right? Now, in all my 35 years, preacher, of studying Bible prophecy, I have never heard even a prophecy teacher preach out of Daniel chapter 8. Never. I'm not saying that no one has, you know, has done it, hasn't done it, but I've never heard them. I believe the Lord wanted me to preach out of Daniel chapter number 8 because it fits in with the times in which we live. Amen? Daniel chapter 8 describes two animals. One is a ram. Not the L.A. rams. The other is a goat. A male goat. And I remind you, folks, there is so much symbolism here. In Daniel chapter number 8, but there is a literal interpretation behind the symbols, and the Bible will interpret these symbols for you. Daniel chapter 8 records a second vision that the Jewish prophet Daniel received. The first vision was in Daniel chapter 7. His second vision is right here in Daniel chapter number 8. When you get to Daniel chapter 7, he talks about world empires, right? He sees a lion. He sees a bear. Oh, my. He sees a lion. He sees a bear. He sees a leopard. And then a fourth beast. Doesn't tell us what it is. Is it a hippopotamus? A kangaroo? A chipmunk? Doesn't say. It's a fourth beast. But we know who these world empires are. In uh, Daniel chapter 7, the lion would be Babylon. Okay? They're the lion. Now, the bear, which is uh, lopsided like it's ready to tip over, three ribs in its mouth, it's not the Russians. The bear would be the Medo-Persian Empire. It's lopsided because it's tipping in favor of the Persians who are over the Medes, even though they function as one unit, but two separate armies. The three ribs in the mouth of the bear would be Egypt, which was conquered by Babylon, which was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. That's in Daniel chapter number 5, the fall of the Medo-Persian Empire. Then it gets to the leopard. Now, what's the fastest animal on earth? I hear it's a cheetah. I hear it's a, what, what, Tom, which one, leopard or cheetah? cheetah? You would say the cheetah, right? But the Bible doesn't go with the cheetah. The Bible goes with the leopard. But the leopard is also a very, very fast animal. That leopard would be the Grecian Empire with four wings on that leopard. Those four wings on the leopard would represent the four main generals who took over after Alexander the Great dies. His empire was divided by his four generals. Then when you get to that fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, strong exceedingly, great iron teeth, and it had ten horns. Then when you get to verse number eight, out of those ten horns comes the little horn. The little horn in Daniel 7 8 is the future little horn, the Antichrist. The little horn here in Daniel chapter 8 was a man, we're talking about maybe 2,300 years ago. You know who this little horn is in Daniel chapter 8? Oh, this dude was, oh, stars was he wicked. Daniel eleven twenty one calls him a vile person. Evil. Hated Jews, man. Hated Israel. Outlawed Judaism. You know who I'm talking about here? I have a coin. I have a 2,300-year-old coin at my house, brother, I got from Israel with his likeness on it. Antiochus IV. 
Epiphanes. You know what the Jews called him? Antiochus Epimenes. Antiochus the mad man. He is the little horn in Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 9 from 2,300 years ago. Back to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse number um, 3 with me. Daniel 8, 3. Stay with me now. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. You know who the ram is right here? The Medo-Persian Empire. One horn was taller than the other horn, which means the taller horn would represent the Persians, and the smaller horn would represent the Medo Empire. Again, they function as one unit, but the Persians were over the Medes, so they are the taller horn. Look at verse 4. And I saw the ram, the Medo-Persian Empire, pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. So that would be the Medo-Persian Empire that had control that whole entire area at that time. But now they're about to come to an end. Look at verse 5. And as I was considering, Daniel said, Behold, and he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Who's the goat here? Greece. Who's that horn between the eyes of the goat? Alexander the Great. When I was in Greece this past May, we were at the remains of Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. We were right at his grave. It was absolutely, they have it in a museum, for crying out loud. I mean, it's amazing what they had on display over there. This guy, the father of Alexander the Great, is buried right there. He's right in that very museum. Look at verse 6. And he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river. And ran unto him in his fury and in his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram. And he was moved with cholera with anger against him. And smote the ram. And brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him. And there was none that, that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Greece would destroy the Medo-Persian Empire. Verse 8. Therefore... The he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Alexander the Great dies at the age of 32 after conquering the known world. Now notice this. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of the heaven. Remember Daniel chapter 7 with the leopard? The leopard greased with what? <clears throat> four wings. Now we see right here. We see right here in verse number 8, four winds of the heavens. Alexander dies. His empire is divided among his four main generals. If I can get it right now, one of them was Cassandra. The second was Lys Lysimachus. Hope I can remember them all. The third would be Seleucus. The fourth, Ptolemy. Thank you, Lord. The fourth, Ptolemy. But the little horn... And verse number nine is referring to only one of those generals. You know who I'm talking about? Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes. What a nasty individual. 
what a wicked, evil individual he was. Daniel 8 reveals the first two of these empires. Verses 1 through 19 show the prophecy of the ram and the goat. And verses 20 through 27 show the interpretation. But we're not going to be able to go through all of that tonight. The ram with the two horns is the Medo-Persian Empire. I love, fly away, there you go. I love all this symbolism. Daniel chapter 8 with the ram and the goat. The goat is no more. Now the Greeks are on the scene. They are now the world empire. Alexander, that horn between the eyes of the goat, he's dead. And now his empire is divided among his four main generals. But one of them the Bible focuses on is that little horn. In verse number 9, Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. You know what this guy did? He outlawed Judaism. After defeating Ptolemy of Egypt, I want the whole empire. I'm not sharing it with nobody, especially these three guys. Once he defeats Ptolemy in Egypt, by the way, geographically speaking, what country is between Syria and Egypt today? Israel. <laughs> Sam is between those two. Once he defeats Egypt, where does he go? Israel. Oh, you know something? You're not going to be able to worship your God anymore. You are forbidden from going into the temple and worshiping. You can't uh, circumcise your kids, your, your, your male babies at eight years old. You cannot read the Torah, the law of Moses. You can't do nothing. But what I want you to do, you Jews, is sacrifice pigs and eat the flesh. And if you don't do it, I'll kill you. That's how wicked this guy was. That's why Daniel, Daniel 11, 21, calls him a vile person. He's that little horn of Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 9. But this guy did the unthinkable. You know what he did? He goes into the temple in Jerusalem. I'm going somewhere with this now, folks. He goes into the temple in Jerusalem. You know what he does? He sacrifices a stinking pig sacrifices a pig in the most holy place or commonly called the holy of holies the most holy place I use the most holy place because I don't find holy of holies in my King James Bible if you use the NIV you're going to find it there which we don't the most holy place sacrifices a pig in the most holy place erects a statue to the Greek God, Zeus. Remember Popeye? He can only take so much from Bluto. What was that famous saying he said before he popped open a can of spinach? That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. A priestly Jewish sect called the Maccabees said, that's it. Let's get these uncircumcised Philistines out of our country. Those guys waged a three-year war against Antiochus IV Epiphanes and the Seleucid Empire. He was a ruler over all that. Look at verse number, uh, uh, verse number 9 with me. Daniel chapter 8, verse number 9. It goes into detail here. And one of them came forth a little horn, that's Alex, uh, uh, Antiochus, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land, that's Israel, and it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. 
and cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them his persecution of the Jews. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the hosts. He's blaspheming God. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of the sanctuary was cast down. He, not only did he persecute the stars to the ground, the Jews, in verse 10, he defiled the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 12 says, And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down truth to the ground and practiced and prospered. This guy was wicked. So the Maccabees waged a three-year war against Antiochus Epiphanes. And guess what? They won! They were from a place called Modin. Talk about Gaul. Talk about wicked to go into to the temple and do that? Sacrifice a pig in the temple? The Jews said, no, nah, we can't let this go on anymore. It's right there in Daniel 11. He magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast out. You Jews, you can't sacrifice in your temple anymore. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I got a pig. You know what a pig is in Judaism, right? Lips that touch swine don't touch mine. That's why Patty don't eat pig, right? I think you recognize these two guys here. Dr. Todd Baker and myself were in a place called Modin. M-O-D-I-N. Modin is halfway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. That is where the Maccabees were from. This is where the fight took place. Go to my YouTube channel, watch our video from Modin, the birthplace of the Maccabees. They won a three-year war against Antiochus Epiphanes. They regained the temple. But when they went in, they were like, Oy vey, pig flesh everywhere. A statue to Zeus. This has got to go. They cleansed the temple from the pig flesh, destroyed the statue to Zeus. According to Jewish tradition, one day supply of oil was found in the temple. And that one day supply of oil burned miraculously for eight days. Whenever something bad happens to the Jews, they make a holiday out of it. And folks, one of those holidays is Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Hanukkah is called the Festival of Lights because that one-day supply of oil burned for eight days. And in December during Hanukkah, they light every candle beginning from right to left because you read Hebrew right to left. From right to laugh until all eight candles are burning. Not only is it called the Festival of Lights, it's also called the Feast of the Dedication because they rededicated the temple back to God. The Feast of the Dedication. By the way, there was one famous Jew who celebrated Hanukkah. There's one famous Jew who celebrated the Feast of the Dedication. John 10, 22-23. And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. What was Jesus celebrating? Hanukkah. Festival of lights, the feast of the dedication. 
commemorating what the Maccabees did 700 years early before the Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene. The Maccabean revolt, the priestly Jewish sect from Modin. They cleansed the Jewish temple and they rededicated it back to God. And now we have the, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. Now let's fast forward to the future and close it all up. Another little horn will come on the world scene. He's not the same little horn we see here in Daniel 8 9. He is the eschatological little horn. He is the future little horn described as the Antichrist. And guess where this guy comes from? He comes from the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. Daniel 9, 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of war, desolations are determined. That future little horn, the beast out of Revelation 31, comes from these people, the Romans, who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. He's the prince that shall come. And you know what he's going to do in the future? Walk into a rebuilt third Jewish temple. Put a cessation to animal sacrifices. Instead of sacrificing a pig on the altar, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to walk in and defile the temple just by his very presence himself. He's going to proclaim to the whole entire world, I am God. Worship me or you die. That is the only choice people will have in the future during that seven-year period of tribulation. The little horn comes out of the ten horns. Daniel 7, verses 7, 20, 24. Ten horns, ten horns, ten horns. Then 500 years later, John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos is talking about ten horns. Revelation 12, 3, Revelation 13, 1. Revelation 17, verses 3, 7, 12, 16. A final ten-nation confederacy that will give total authority to the Antichrist when he comes on the world stage. Just as that first little horn of the past, Antiochus Epiphanes, defiled the temple in Jerusalem 2,300 years ago, the Antichrist in the future will do the same exact thing. He'll desecrate the rebuilt third Jewish temple. Proclaim to the world, folks, that he is God. That's Daniel 9.27. That's Matthew 24.15. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. That's Revelation 11, 1 through 3. What does Jesus call this? The abomination of desolation. And the Jews will flee for their very lives when all that comes upon. Come to Israel with me. I'm going to take you right here. Brother Chris, I'm going to take you right there, man. You know what that is? It's in the old city of Jerusalem. It's called the Temple Institute where they're making all the preparations for the rebuilding of a third Jewish temple. The priestly garments are on display. All the temple furnishings are on display. The seven-branch menorah that the Romans carried away back to Rome, they have a replica of one on display. Everything is ready to go for the rebuilding of a third Jewish temple that will stand on the most sacred piece of real estate on earth today, har in the, in the Hebrew, the Temple Mount. 
where the first and second Jewish temples once stood, where that third temple will stand. Everything, folks, is coming into place as we speak. What am I telling you? What am I saying here tonight? The stage is being set. The actors are getting into position. The curtain is about to go up on the end time drama. That second future eschatological little horn is alive and well today. But he can't be revealed yet until the church is taken out. The next main event on God's calendar of activities we call the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And Paul says, don't be ignorant concerning the coming of the Lord. So I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a what? So far, so good. Trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore? Comfort. If you're going through any part of the tribulation period, nothing comforting there. But he said, comfort, because we're not going to be here. Comfort one another with these words. I'm here to tell you tonight. I'm here to comfort you tonight that you can escape the nightmare that's about to come on this earth by getting saved now. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Call upon his name tonight. We're on borrowed time, folks. Do you understand that? We're running on fumes, man. Jesus could return tonight. And if you're not saved, the bad news for you is you're going to be left behind. So if you don't get right, you're going to get left. Get saved now. The trumpet, the shofar, is about to sound. And the church is about to be taken out of here. Come up hither! And faster than you can blink the human eye. We're out of here. We're gone. And he's going to take us to the Father's house. And when he takes us to heaven, how long are we going to be there for? We will be there for? Yeah. A very brief seven years. While the earth below goes through a seven-year period of tribulation. 
You can choose to heed that warning tonight or ignore it and walk out these doors. That choice is up to you. There is a heaven and there is a hell. You and you alone make that choice to go to either or. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With every head bowed, every eye closed with no one looking. If you're here right now tonight, maybe those of you watching via live stream, I do not have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. I don't have that assurance. But what you said tonight resonated with me. I don't want to die and go to hell for the rest of eternity. I don't want to be left behind on this earth after this, this event you call the rapture. I don't want to be left behind. I want to be ready tonight. I want to sit down with somebody that they can open the Bible to me and show me from the Bible how I can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that one day heaven will be my destination. I'd love to do that tonight. Pastor Tony would love to do that tonight. There are people in this church capable of opening the word of God and showing you from the Bible how you can know for sure that heaven will be your home. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you the free gift of eternal life. Just receive it by faith. It's simple. Simple as ABC. Would you receive his free gift tonight or would you reject it? The choice is up to you. Don't reject it. We're going to have a time of prayer. Pastor's going to come up. I'm going to be down here. It's an invitation. Chris is going to play Song of Invitation. If you need to talk with me, if you talk with Pastor Tony or someone else here in the church, please, 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 I implore you, do not walk out of your lost tonight. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask that you just take this time of invitation. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have his will on his way tonight. Lord, we're running on borrowed time. And I believe, Lord, Jesus is coming sooner rather than later. So, Father, please speak to hearts now. Prick those hearts of those unregenerate, lost, that tonight they would walk out of here, a brand new child of God. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.